Hi everyone, it's Jake here. Now before we get into this episode of the podcast, there are two quick things that I would like to bring to your attention. The first is that we are still taking submissions for the survey. We ask that everybody goes and checks that out. It is still online and there will be a link to it. And the reason why I ask this is because the first survey that we put out was one of our worst performing episodes and we got 60 responses. And this last one was one of our best and we only got like 30. So if you could help us out by filling that out, that would be great. Also, be sure to keep an eye out in the coming weeks for Bundesliga recap shows. We'll be bringing on newer voices for you to hear, so it won't be just Chuck and I, and we will be releasing them two teams per day, every day, for one portion of a week. We will be covering every team but Bayern Munich, including the promoted sides, so with that, let's go into the podcast. Hello and welcome to yet another somewhat surprising episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. Uh, we thought we were done for the entire summer, but then the most recent podcast that we put out shattered all of our previous records for downloads and for the number of downloads in a day and over a three-day span and as of right now we are just a little over a week after releasing it and we already have over 1500 downloads which is more than we've ever had for another one so like the uh money grubbing people that we are we're going to head and try to capitalize on this with a summer update episode we will probably pump out a couple more of these uh so this one will be addressing a couple of transfer rumors before going into the big event in world soccer that kicks off tomorrow. But first, before we go all of that, I would introduce the man joining me, my partner, my brother-in-arms on this, Chuck Smith. Chuck, how has your week been so far? It has been uh, very crazy, Jake. I've had a lot going on personally with uh, work and getting kids places. So it's been just nuts. And that doesn't even count how crazy it's been on the site over the past week or so. With all the news that's come out, I mean, we've just been, you know, top to bottom. It's been crazy. So hopefully your life is a little more stable than mine right now. Uh, it is. I just got back from a little vacation. Uh, I went tent camping in Rhode Island in southern Connecticut. Uh, it was pretty nice, kind of zen, kind of relaxing. Uh, but in the midst of all of that, we had all of these crazy transfer rumors and all of this ridiculous news that was coming out, which is the first thing we are going to tackle. It's not going to be segmented like any of our previous podcasts. This is going to be just totally off of the top of our heads. So we're going to start off with the transfer rumors and the important signings that may or may not happen with Bayern Munich in the coming days. And the first person that we are going to talk about is Leroy Sané, who has had back and forth talks with Bayern, back and forth talks with Manchester City, and recently Bayern put in their offer for him. I haven't exactly been following everything because because the place I was camping had terrible Wi-Fi. So, Chuck, could you give everybody an update on the most recent developments with all of that? Sure. I mean, <clears throat> when you look at the Leroy Sané situation, I mean, it comes down to really one thing, and it is Manchester City willing 
to let go of, of a young talent like Sané. And, you know, a lot of the speculation, it's been going back and forth. Has Bayern made an offer? Uh, you know, has Manchester City officially put Sané out on the market? And what we know at this point, as as far as the offer goes, is that Carl Heinz Rummenigge has stated that Bayern has not officially made an offer for Leroy Sané. That does contradict some of the reports that have been out there. Uh, specifically, the, the big kind of uh, back and forth that we saw was between two really respected reporters in Christian Falk and Fabrizio Romano, who each had a different take on whether or not Bayern had made an offer on Sané. So Falk uh, was very quick to shoot down Fabrizio Romano's rumor that Bayern had submitted a bid of about 80 million euros and that Manchester City had turned it down. Um, just looking at that on the surface, Jake, I think you have to really see, like, I don't think that Sané is leaving Manchester City for anything less than 100 million euros. I think anything, anybody that thinks that Manchester City would accept anything less is a little bit crazy. I mean, Sané is, he's an excellent talent. I mean, he's pacey, he's got great skill, he's got a nose for the goal, and he's got a huge future in front of him. To think that that Manchester City would be so willing to just let him go, I, I just can't say it. And, and it's like we've been talking about for weeks, Jake. This just seems like Sané is a the type of player that now that he's left Germany and he's part of the Premier League, he's seen this supposed bigger picture that's out there. And I think that that's where he wants to wants to stay. But he wants things a little bit more on his terms. He wants more playing time. He wants more money. And that's where a big club like Bayern can come in and create that situation for him. Now, I think a completely different aspect that no one has talked about is how the market can sometimes set itself with players that play similar positions and have similar levels of talent. So I kind of had this thought to myself, and this is unrelated to anything that Bayern did, but... It was reported that a deal had been made between Real Madrid and Chelsea for their winger, Eden Hazard. Hazard is clearly one of the best talents in the world on the left wing. Hazard only went to Real Madrid for 87.5 million euros, or somewhere around there. If the reported number, Chuck, for Leroy Sané is at 100, and you see that Hazard only got 87.5 do you think that that helps Bayern throughout the negotiations? Oh, I, I really don't, actually. And I know that's probably um, not a popular opinion, but I think that because Sané is younger than Hazard and that I think Sané right now, if you had to pick between the two players, he's the one that you would want to build around on a longer-term basis. Um, Hazard is going, if he, if he does indeed um, land with Real Madrid and he's there, He'll, he'll do great things there, no doubt. But his shelf life as a player is definitely shorter than Leroy Sané is right now. And just the fact that Sané is German, it would enhance his value to a club like Bayern Munich. But I just can't see it at this point. I think Pep Guardiola, he's a micromanager. He loves to be all over his personnel. And I'm sure that that does great on some of them. So a player like Sané, who has this talent, who could go to basically any club in the world and compete for playing time and likely get it, I think he's going to seize this opportunity, try and get a little more money, 
try and get a little bit more commitment from Manchester City in terms of playing time. And I think that that's where he'll end up, unfortunately for Bayern fans. Uh, moving on to the next series of transfer rumors and developments. Ajax center back Matthias Delight. It was reported today that Bayern Munich is officially out of the running for him. Now, the rumors about Delight had been circulating since about October when he and the rest of the Ajax defense walked into Bavaria and absolutely shut down any possible chance of Bayern clinching all three points. Now, the rumors had been percolating and accumulating throughout the season, especially during the winter time when, as many would remember, Bayern Munich did not purchase anybody uh, whatsoever. Uh, Chuck, do you think that, one, do you think that winter would have been the better time to make a move for Delight? And two, where do you think he would end up now that Byron is out of the running? I, I do think, I think you're 100% right. I think going after Delight in the winter time would have been the smarter move. Um, when you look at his ability, when you look at his size, his speed, the fact that he's already a captain there's nothing to dislike about this player. Um, you know, you look at the investments that Bayern has made in Lucas Hernandez and Benjamin Pavard. Uh, I prefer delight over both. Uh, I think he brings something to the table that they do not. Now, Hernandez obviously brings some flexibility to be able to bump out and play left back. But I think Delight is a cornerstone type player. He is a person that can be a captain for the next decade. He is a leader on the field. He's got great ability. He's got great size, great strength. I think that Bayern really kind of missed the boat on this one. And how it all played out, I mean, at least in some respects, Bayern did the right thing. Right now, Bayern's focus is on strengthening other areas of their squad. They gave Delight a call, said, hey, we like you, but... We need to go another direction. And, you know, to his credit, you know, he's going to move on with that. With him rumored to be so close to Barcelona, I have to think that they're still in play. Um, but the name that we're hearing a lot of now is, is PSG. And, you know, with their unlimited bank account, it wouldn't be a shock if they were able to bring him in. But again, when you look at Barcelona, what they have to offer, and the fact that they've already landed Ajax is Frankie de Jong as well. Um, you know, I, I just think ultimately the number's going to lead to like right back to Barcelona. Yeah, I think PSG kind of needs that center back to stop letting in all those easy goals in the round of 16 of the Champions League. Uh, I guess, I guess it's kind of sad because I agree with you on the point that Hernandez does provide flexibility and so does Pavard. But the thing that really makes me sad is that Delight clearly could have been that next generational center back and he really is one of those once in a lifetime players and you look around at really good teams and they have those cornerstone center backs uh, you look at Liverpool that just won the Champions League and they have Virgil van Dijk you look at Tottenham and they have two and Alderweireld and Jan Vertonghen and Bayern I don't know if you can say that they have one of those world-class center backs. You can't tell me that Mats Hummels or Jerome Boateng is at the same 
caliber that they were in 2015 or even 2016, just in the years right after they had won the World Cup. And now with this opportunity to sign this player like Delight, that's clearly going to have a big impact both for the Dutch national team, but also on the club level and throughout the world. And I don't know why you decide to look the other direction and sign two players, which I'm not saying Pavard or Hernandez are bad, but if you'd been linked to him for a while and you really like him, why wait? Like, it's clear Delight could have helped push Bayern forward into the future, and I think it's just kind of sad that they let this opportunity slip by. Yeah, I think that's the way to look at it is when you look at the money that they had invested into Lucas Hernandez and Benjamin Pavard, I would have much preferred that they spend that on on delight, honestly. Uh, You know, we can talk about the flexibility and versatility that those other players offer, and they do. And that's something that I'm sure Nico Kovac will, he'll take advantage of that. But you know, to me, it comes down to we, you know, we have to look at the opportunity that Byron had to bring in Delight and just build around him. Um, when you look at a potential backline of Nicholas Sula and Matthias Delight, I, I would have to say that would be very exciting to watch over the next decade. Moving on to our third rumor, it is about. Chelsea's youngster, Callum Hudson-Odoi. Apparently, days after Chelsea won the Europa League in, I wouldn't say dramatic fashion whatsoever. I would say the exact opposite of dramatic. It was an absolute rout of Arsenal 4-1 in the Europa League final. Now that he got that little taste of some silverware, now he's reconsidering now that the battles with Maurizio Sarri are now over. It is rumored that Hudson Adoy is looking to sign a £100,000 per week contract at Chelsea to stay at Stamford Bridge for a little while longer. So, Chuck, do you think that these rumors have any merit to them? Do you think that it's smart for Hudson Adoy to stay there? And if not, do you think think that Bayern has any hope of being that club that he jumps to. Yeah, I, I do think that the rumors have some merit. Uh, I mean, they origin the rumors from this week originated out of out of England, and they basically stated that Callum Hudson Odoi was now having this quote unquote breakthrough in negotiations, uh, which again Christian Falk was quick to jump on and dispute. Um, you know. Obviously, you could go either way with this one in terms of which report you'd like to believe. Uh, I just think when you look at the situation, Hudson Odoi is a young player. He knows Chelsea. He's been there. He also wants more playing time, and he wants more money. This is actually very similar to Leroy Sané. The thing that makes me worry a little bit in both cases is that if Bayern doesn't land either Sané or Hudson Odoi, it just seems like they're being used. And for a club as big as Bayern, I, I find that to be pretty insulting. Um, it's not to say that they are not capable of landing these types of players. But to me, there are so many similarities with the situations. Both Sané and Hudson Odoi have been struggling for playing time with very, um, I would say, strict managers who have an idea of how they want to develop players. Uh you know, both players obviously want more money. Who doesn't? 
I mean, we all do, right? So, uh, you know, the fact that Bayern is the club that's linked to both and that the the rumors and the reports have all, have all been up and down. Uh, one day, Bayern looks great. The next, it's Chelsea. It just leads me to believe that this is all negotiating, that the agents for Sané and Hudson-Odoi are using Bayern to get more money from the current club. So, I mean, that's the way I read it right now. And maybe that's wrong. I hope to be wrong. But just looking at both situations, the style of player and how the reports have come out and, you know, obviously how the interactions between the players and their current clubs have gone down, I I would say both of these situations are very questionable at this stage. I would completely agree with that. Moving on to the first uh, transfer obituary of the year, we pause and remember the career of James Rodriguez at Bayern Munich. It was confirmed this week that the club would not sign him on a permanent deal, and he is going to return to his parent club of Real Madrid, where Zinedine Zidane would most likely probably give him a swift kick back out the door. So, looking back on James Rodriguez's career, he got brought in with Carlo Ancelotti on a two-year deal. He was hailed as this potential game changer coming in it was viewed that Bayern may be the place where he could jumpstart his career again maybe recapture some of that Brazilian World Cup magic that he had in the summer of 2014 but it was clear that while he was respected by the fans and respected by the players it just kind of seemed like he didn't really fit in at the club though That's not to say he wasn't a good player. He contributed a lot of goals. He contributed a lot of assists. And he was a good playmaker on the field. But in the final days of his career here in Bavaria, it was kind of made obvious in his playing on the field that the lack of time and the instability with the three managers in two years was kind of getting to him, and he wanted to leave, and that's exactly what he did. Uh, I think it's kind of foolish that Bayern didn't sign him and then decide to flip him, but then again, uh, I believe it was Yuli Honus that said that he wasn't interested in human trafficking uh, and kind of equated flipping James to that. So I can understand and respect that. So Chuck... Uh, why don't you go ahead and offer your thoughts on the career of James Rodriguez and just the overall decision by Bayern to not sign him on a permanent deal? Yeah, I, I think that Bayern made the right decision to not sign James Rodriguez. And that's not that has nothing to do with his talent. It has nothing to do with his production. I, I genuinely and truly believe that he did not want to ever be with Bayern Munich. Uh, I think that when he was up against it and he was at Real Madrid and he wasn't getting on the field and Zinedine Zidane clearly did not like him. He needed a way out. He needed an escape. And Byron was that escape. He had Carlo Ancelotti as the manager who had kind of believed in him before, who had given him an opportunity before. And as soon as Ancelotti flamed out, it kind of went downhill. And that's not to say that James or James had, had, terrible performances he was he was very good he was but 
when you watched him play, I, for one, I never believed that he was going to stay here. It just seemed like this was one stop on the way to wherever he was going next. His production was very good. He still maintains excellent skill. He's a great talent. And he did have some attitude issues here. I mean, we can't ignore those. He did, you know, he's, he had several instances where, you know, he stormed out of the locker room early. He had disagreements with coaches. He was late several times. And, and those things do happen. But I think when you look at his overall situation, I look at a couple things. Did he ever buy into learning German? Did he want to stay here long term? And those are things that I don't think that he committed to. And when I see that, and I see that from a player, it tells me that the player's probably not bought into staying in a location for a long time. So I think he's getting what he wants. He wants to go back to Real Madrid and then figure it out. And right now, you know, the, the, the leaders in the clubhouse are, are Napoli with Carlo Ancelotti and, and Juventus. So he's going to have some familiar faces if he lands at either one of those clubs. I know we've, we've heard Arsenal, we've heard Manchester United, we've heard Chelsea. I, I can't see any of those. We've even heard Liverpool. I just can't see him being a fit at any of those places, not to say that he couldn't play there. It just does not seem like he wants to go to the Premier League from everything that we've read. I completely agree. I really think that he would fit in well with the Italian game, and I think wherever he goes, he is going to uh, bring a whole bunch of Central American fans. Uh, So I guess when we say goodbye to James, we would also have to say goodbye to all of the... Latin American fans that follow him wherever he goes. Uh, so I guess hi and goodbye to all of the Central American fans, unless you've decided to become a Bayern Munich fan full time, in which I'm very happy, and I think you made a great decision. I think that's one of the surprising things, Jake, that that Bayern has this global strategy that they've been pushing and marketing now. And I really thought that James Rodriguez was going to be the poster boy for that. I thought he was going to be the player, whether he performed or whether the coach liked him or not, that they were going to invest in him. And I just think it came down to he didn't want to be with Byron. And that's that's fine. That's his prerogative. So we'll, we'll see how he does as next stop. But, um, you know, I think there are some good things that he'll be able to do in the Italian game if he does land there. And, you know, he's going to bring his talent wherever he goes. And I'm going to stop it right there before you make any mention of Timo Werner but, in this entire segment of this podcast. But, Jake, it, it is hashtag Timo time. No, it Thanks. is not. It is not. We are going to cut that out in post-production. Uh, we are going to take a quick break, and then we'll, we'll move on to something special for this podcast. We'll be right back after this message. And we're back. And today is the start of a phenomenal event that will be watched throughout the world. It is the start of the Women's World Cup. And even though Germany is just one of the teams in it, this is an international game, and it is a massive international soccer event, and we will be previewing every single group. Because we know that not everybody that listens to this is a Bayern Munich fan, most of you are, but overall... You're soccer fans, and seeing as this is one of the largest events in the world's soccer calendar, we would be fools not to cover it. So, the way that we're going to do this is we're going to break down every single group, reading off each of the teams in their FIFA World Ranking order. I'm going to give little 
anecdotes about each team. And then Chuck and I are each going to give our predictions on who we think is going to go out of each group. So, starting with Group A, the host country, France, is the fourth best team in the world according to FIFA. The nickname of the team is Les Bleus. This is their third uh, Women's World Cup entering. Their previous highest was the 2011 semifinal where they lost to the United States. Uh, Their captain is excuse me, Amandine Henri. She is a phenomenal player. She's my personal uh, player to watch in this group. She has been captaining that team and is clearly the biggest force to be reckoned with on that French national team. Uh, The next team is Norway at 12. Their nickname is uh, the Grasshoppene, which which translates into grasshoppers they've made every single world cup they won in 1995 but they haven't done incredibly well since then uh, after them it is south korea their nickname is the uh Taeguk ladies i apologize to all the south korean viewers out there i probably absolutely murdered that pronunciation uh is their second World Cup. They have never gotten past the round of 16. They were the last Asian team to qualify. Uh, one of their better players is Ji Soyeon, who has been phenomenal at Chelsea in the uh, English Women's Premier League. She's been lighting that league on fire, and she'll probably carry some of that over to South Korea. And finally, the last team in this group is Nigeria at 38, the Super Falcons, which I find that's interesting. The men are the Super Eagles, the women are the Super Falcons. They have also made every Women's World Cup. They won the 2018 Women's African Cup of Nations, and they will be rocking the same awesome jersey that the men wore in the 2018 World Cup, the zigzag green jersey. Also, quick anecdote, quick side note, for those that don't follow, uh, women's world cup qualifying not all of them are qualified in groups that play together a lot of teams qualify by winning regional tournaments so nigeria qualified because they won the african cup of nations and a lot of teams that finish second through fourth will also qualify uh if they do well in those tournaments so I will quickly give my predicted order, and then I will uh, let you go ahead and give yours, Chuck. I think Nigeria is an interesting team, but I don't think they will make it that far. I was really torn between having Norway or South Korea as my second-place team. Uh, I'm going to give the edge to South Korea. I think Ji Soyeon is going to light this tournament on fire. And then I would be remiss if I didn't put the... One of the favorite teams to win it all and the host nation uh, as winning the group. So I have France, South Korea, Norway, and then Nigeria. Uh, Chuck, what are your thoughts and what's your prediction? I think this is a pretty exciting group, Jake. Uh, I would side with you. I think that France will absolutely win the group. I think Norway is is probably the next closest to France within this. And it's funny to think about where Norway would be with that if they were able to use Ada Hagerberg, whose name I may or may not be butchering, but she is the Ballon d'Or winner, which would make a huge impact onto this squad for Norway. So if you think about it, this is the best player in the women's game right now. 
not playing for her country because she is protesting uh, basically that Norway's soccer federation does not support the women's game enough. And she's got a great point. Um, and it's a str- very strong and admirable stance to take. It's just it's just a shame that the fans will miss out seeing her play. As we know, the women's club game does not get quite the attention that the men do. So this would have been a great platform to see her, but you have to respect the stance that she's taken on this. Absolutely. I completely agree. I think it's very bold of her to make this, but I think it's also kind of something that the women's game needs. Like, imagine if... Uh, in the reverse, right? Say the women's game was better than the men's game and you had Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo saying that they were going to leave because of it. It should send shockwaves, right? Having Hedberg not playing should be one of the biggest storylines going into this tournament and yet it's one thing that we hardly ever hear, which I think is kind of sad. Yeah, you're right. And yeah, the story's been muffled and it's been stomped down a little bit, but you do have to give her credit for her stance. You have to admire what she's done. I'm selfishly disappointed to not be able to watch her play, but I'm just some loser sitting in a basement recording this right now. <laughs> uh, I, I, I really do admire her for the stance. And, and, you know, I hope that over the coming months, there's a way that Norway can display to their women's team that they are more committed than what they've what they've shown the team to date. So it would be great to see her back in international play. And I think a great way to do that is for that Norwegian women's team to go on a tear, which I think they are more than capable of doing. But I really think the South Korea team is going to get overlooked by a lot of people. And I think that a lot of teams that are going to be upset specialists will be doing exactly that. Uh, Moving on to the next group, Group B. This is the one that all the Bayern fans will be paying attention to. Uh, It is Germany, Spain, China, and South Africa. So, first, uh, D-National Elf, which I'm kind of disappointed that their nickname is not, like, D-Frauen National Manshaft and that it's National Elf. It kind of makes sense, but at the same time, I don't know. Uh, Germany, the uh, two-time Weltmeister, uh... They've qualified for every tournament. Uh, Xenifer Marozan and Alex Pop return. They won the Olympic gold medal in Rio de Janeiro in 2016, defeating Sweden. Uh, They're one of the teams to beat in France this summer, and they are my personal pick to go out and win the whole thing. I think they will tie the United States on most World Cups won. Then we have Spain, who is 13th. La Roja, they won the 2017 Algarve Cup. They were the first European team to qualify other than the hosts. Uh, Interesting, their former uh, captain and one of their caps leaders Vero Boquete will not be playing in this tournament. Uh, she will be sorely missed as she is their all-time top goal scorer. Moving on to China, they have my favorite nickname, the Steel Roses. I think that's a phenomenal nickname. Just when you picture Steel Roses, it, it sounds very tough. Uh, they made the 1999 final, lost to the United States, Brandy Chastain. 
beat them on penalty kicks. They had an easy qualifying campaign thanks to their player, Li Ying, who has really become one of the best women's players in the world. And then finally, we move on to South Africa. They are 49th. Their nickname is Banyana Banyana, which translates to the girls. I think that's an awesome nickname. Uh, They are making their World Cup debut after making the semifinals of the African Cup of Nations. And while that is very exciting, I don't think they're going to do well at all. I think South Africa is going to come dead last in this group. I think Spain and China will battle it out, but I think China is going to be a little sneaky. I think China is going to be able to make it out against Spain, but Germany is obviously going to top this group. Germany, they're, they're the second best team in the world. They're not going to get knocked out. So I have Germany, China, Spain, and South Africa. Chuck, what about you? I'm a little bit different, Jake. I am I am also going to go with Germany to win the group, but I'm going to follow Germany with Spain. I'll have China in third and South Africa uh, in fourth. But I'm, I'm 100% with you. I think the Steel Roses is such a badass nickname. I love it. Um, I might get a tattoo after this show. <laughs> uh, but really, like, I'm excited to watch uh, <clears throat> Germany. I I'm going to butcher her name, but Jennifer Morozan, I think, is a phenomenal player. But a player that I think that you really want to take a look at is 21-year-old midfielder Leah Schuler, who plays for SGS Essen. And I think that she's really one of the, going to be one of the breakout stars of this tournament. It'll be great to see how the German team plays and how they're able to navigate through this. I expect Spain to really give them a tough game. And you're probably right, Jake, with China. They are going to be a tough team that maybe some people are overlooking. But in the end, I think Germany and Spain walk out of this group as the top two teams. And of course, you have to mention all of the players that are currently on Bayern Munich. Uh, some are leaving, like Leonie Meyer and Sarah Debritz. Uh, but um, you have Catherine Hendrick, Laura Benkarth, uh, Verena Schwiers, Melanie Leopolds, and uh, Lena Magul. Uh, joining Bayern this summer, you have Linda Dahlman and Julia Gwynn. Uh, they'll be joining Bayern, and those are all players that will be playing for the German national team. Uh, so moving on to the next group, Group C. I personally think that Group C is the group of death. The, there are two groups that I basically went back and forth on, but this one is uh, this one really has to take the cake. It is Australia, Brazil. Italy, and Jamaica. So um, that's actually the order that I have. It's the order of the FIFA rankings, and it's the order I have. So this is the first one where I went uh, straight chalk. So Australia uh, is the sixth best team in the world, the female Socceroos, or the Matildas, which is another phenomenal nickname. One of the best women's team in the world. Uh, However, they've never made it beyond the quarterfinals, which I think is interesting. Uh, They lost the Women's Asian Cup to Japan, but Australia is a very, very good team. I saw them play against the United States in East Hartford last summer. Uh, Sam Kerr is an absolute beast. Devanna is still there uh, poking her head around. And this Australia team is really, really good. And another thing, they're rocking these amazing throwback kits. They are just absolutely awesome. They look like kits. I don't know if it was from 1994 or from... 2002 but they look like it was copy and paste from one of those it is really cool 
I encourage you to check it out. I actually think I may like it better than the Women's Nigeria kit. Uh, next, it is Brazil, the Selecao. They dominated and won the Copa America Femenina. Uh, arguably the greatest women's soccer player ever. Marta is still playing. I also got to see her in Hartford. She scored this absolutely phenomenal goal against Japan. She was 20 yards out and curled it top left. It was beautiful to watch. She's a phenomenal player. And even though she's on the wrong side of 30, Marta's on the field. You're gonna have a bad time. It's going to be rough for whoever is playing against her to mark her and to defend her. And she will find goals wherever she wants. Uh, then it's Italy, the Azzurri. Uh, they beat out Belgium to get to their second Women's World Cup ever. They only lost one game, and it was on the last day to Belgium, but that was inconsequential. This is also a very sneaky team. And then, finally, uh, Jamaica. Uh, the men's team is called the Reggae Boys, with a Z. Uh, this team is called the Reggae Girls, with a Z. Uh, however, that may be the coolest thing about them. They are 53rd in the world, the worst team in this tournament. They needed a shootout over Panama uh, in order to qualify for their first Women's World Cup. So again, I have Australia, Brazil, Italy, Jamaica as my order. Chuck, what about you? Jake, I have the same exact order, so we are on the same wa same wavelength with that. I think that you've gone chalk every time, though, Chuck. That might be. I, I listen. Hey, you have to you have to play smart money, Jake. Let's go. I mean, you know, I have to look at the teams, and I have to say, like, honestly, I'm looking at this, and I'm saying to myself, which teams are the deepest? Which teams have the best players? And when I look at this group in particular, I mean, I'm looking at Sam Kerr for Australia and I'm looking at Martha from Brazil. And these are the two that I want to see go head to head. I'm really looking forward to that matchup. But when it comes down to it, I mean, I think you've got two of the most exciting teams in the tournament overall. And Italy could be a wild card there. I think that they've they've shown some spunk so far and just being able to get to this point. And while Jamaica may not be among the favorites, you know, I'm sure that this is this is the type of tournament with these other heavyweights playing in, in this group. I think there's a shot they might be able to come in and, and catch someone off guard. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for you. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on to the other tough group, which arguably could be the other group of death. Group D. It is England, Japan, Scotland, and Argentina. Uh, the three lionesses from England, they finished third in 2015. Uh, in qualifying, they're an extremely dominant team, averaging over three goals a game while averaging under one goal allowed. Uh, Fran Kirby and a young player by the name of Georgia Stanway. Remember that name. She's going to be very good for England this year. She's great with the women's side from Manchester City. Uh, they're going to be the highlights of this team. Stanway's one of the better young attacking players in the world. Uh, then Japan. Their nickname is Nadashiko Japan. Again, pronunciation i'm sorry i tried to look up what that meant and it was just generally feminine qualities so that's all that it i kind of got from that they've made two finals they won one and lost one both times playing against the united states uh they've made every women's world cup and won the women's asian cup however it's a little different 
of a look at this team because there are not many players left from the 2011 uh, Cup winning side. It's a very young team, but they're still extremely dominant. Don't let that youth and inexperience fool you. That Japan team is going to be very good. Uh, Scotland. They are the 20th best team in the world. They don't have a nickname, and I'm kind of sad because Scotland's national animal is a unicorn. Uh, so I feel like if you name that team the Unicorns, that would be a really kick-ass team name. Uh, they're a very tough team to beat in qualifying. They won seven games, but four out of those seven wins were come from behind. And I really think that that will carry over to this World Cup, and it will be part of my bold prediction for this. But lastly, we come to Argentina. They're not as good as their male counterparts. Uh, La Alba Celestes are the 37th best team in the world. They finished third in the Copa America Femenina. Uh, they won an intercontinental playoff spot against Panama in order to make it to this tournament it is their first Women's World Cup since 2003. So my order from top to bottom is going to go England, Scotland, Japan, Argentina. I think Japan moves on because in the Women's World Cup, the four best third place teams make it to the knockout stages, but I think Scotland is just this really rugged team that will really stick it to you. I don't think that Scotland could be counted out in any game. I don't think they'll beat England, but they might have the gall in them to go ahead and eke out a win against Japan, and I think that's going to be the game that puts them over the top and takes them easily into the next into the next round. Yeah, I mean, when I look at this group, it's kind of interesting because I've actually seen both England and Japan play this year. I attended the uh, she, she Believes Cup uh, held at Talon Energy Stadium in Chester, Pennsylvania, not in Philadelphia, like many people think the uh, where the Philadelphia Union play. But, um, <clears throat> you know, I've seen them. And, and one of the things that I thought was very interesting in watching Japan was just how precise everything was and how technically skilled they were as a team. I think you're you're 100% on Jake that England is going to win this group and I too am a big fan of big fan of Scotland. I love the spunk and the fire within this team and I really would love to see them move on. But I think that Japan is the second place team and I think what the best we can hope for with Scotland is they gain one of those wild card slots but just having seen Japan in person probably influences me a little bit England when I saw them was was also excellent so I expect this to be another highly competitive group that one may have been one of the tougher predictions I've had to make because you are very right that Japan team is scary precise and really really good moving on to group E Canada the Netherlands New Zealand and Cameroon First, we have Canada, which does not have a nickname, though I've seen them referred to as the Canucks, which I will go with. Uh, they're historically one of the best teams, but they have never won a World Cup or made it to a final. Their best finish was fourth place prior to this. They lost to the United States in the CONCACAF Women's Championship. Uh, Christine Sinclair is still on this team. I don't know how she is 
still there. She's really good. She's don't get me wrong. She's an absolutely amazing player, but I believe she's 35. I think this may either be her third or her fourth Women's World Cup, and that is just a ridiculous amount of World Cups to be playing in. Moving on to Holland. Uh, I, I'm sorry, Dutch is hard to pronounce. The Leuvenen, uh, the Lionesses, or uh, the Orangi. This is only their second World Cup. Uh, they finished second in their qualifying group, beating out Denmark and Switzerland in the playoffs. Uh, Lineth Berenstein and Jill Roard, who is leaving for Arsenal, but is from Bayern Munich, will be playing on both of these rosters. Moving on to New Zealand, which I am disappointed that they are not known as the All Blacks because I just thought that every single New Zealand team was known as the All Blacks, but they make up for it because their nickname is the Football Ferns, which I guess is equally cool. Uh, they've never gotten past the group stage in four Women's World Cups, but they won the Oceana Women's Nations Cup, beating Fiji 8 nothing in the final, which is a phenomenal scoreline. <laughs> Uh, and then finally, Cameroon at 46. Now, I like Cameroon's nickname because in Netherlands, we have the Lionesses. And in Cameroon, they take it a step further. They're not just the Lionesses. They're the indomitable Lionesses. They won a fourth place game against Mali in the Women's African Cup of Nations after getting knocked out by Nigeria. And that's how they are there. Uh, despite the nickname, I think the indomitable Lionesses are going to be the most dominated team in this group. I think they come in dead last. Um, and then New Zealand third. And I think that Netherlands-Canada game may be one of the best in the tournament. That Dutch team is really good. They just have depth for days. They have some really talented players. They work very well as a team. I think they beat Canada in their game, and I think they top Canada for the group. So I have the Dutch, uh, the Canadians, New Zealand, and then Cameroon. Chuck, uh, are you going to go chalk yet again on this one? I, I absolutely am. I'm going to oh, go God, with... Oh, God, come on. I'm going to go with Canada to win this group, mostly because I want to curry some favor with the likes of Marco Polo and RLD and all of our Canadian community members who I would like to support in this endeavor. So, uh, yeah, I, Jake, absolutely. I'm going to go with Canada, but you're right. The Netherlands team is, is very good. Uh, I, I like how, one, how exciting they play the game it kind of actually reminded me when we watched Bayern and Ajax the way that Ajax approached that game they had no fear they were out to do things and and look flashy on the pitch and I think that this Netherlands women's team kind of carries themselves the same way that Ajax did in the Champions League so I'm expecting those two teams to battle it out New Zealand, I would say, is third. Cameroon is is probably going to have a uh, a rough stay in Group E. And finally, we move on to Group F, aka the one we've all been waiting for. Uh, it is the United States, Sweden, Thailand, and Chile. So we're gonna start off with the USA, aka the Yanks, aka the USWNT, aka the greatest team of all time, aka the Tom Brady of women's soccer, or maybe we should just call Tom Brady the US women's national team of American football. What really needs to be said about 
the American national team. They're the three-time champions. They're the defending champions. They're the favorites to win it all again. You just go down this lineup. It is absolutely stacked. Alex Morgan, uh, Julie Ertz, Crystal Dunn, Becky Sauerbrunn. Shout out um, absolutely to my favorite women's national team player of all time, my girl Megan Rapino. She's coming back. The U.S. is going to win this group. I don't think that's a question. Maybe that's just me being an American being extremely cocky, but uh, it's going to be a good game between the U.S. and this next team, Sweden, the uh, Blagult. I'm sorry, Marcus, that I killed that one. But um, they've made the final once despite a bumpy group. They won and advanced in their... Uh, they won and advanced in their qualifying. They are the runners-up in the 2016 Olympics to Germany, and they famously knocked the Americans out early in that tournament. Moving on to Thailand. Uh, again, I'm sorry about this pronunciation. Uh, their nickname is Chaba Kao. I'm very, again, sorry. Uh, I looked up, I tried to Google Translate what that meant because when I clicked on it, it was like directed to uh, this like animated children's movie, and that's apparently the name of a character in that. And it has something to do with elephants. Uh, but Thailand was the fourth best team in the Asian Cup, losing to the Aussies. They are a mostly young team in their second Women's World Cup ever uh and finally chile uh 39th in the world las chicas de roja uh the ladies in red they were the runners up in the copa america femenina uh they are making their debut in the women's world cup i'm going chalk on this one usa sweden thailand and chile chuck are you tell me you pull out something in here that doesn't make you go ahead and just pick favorites all across the board. I did. I this was one group. This on. was the one group and I went with Chile to go in third place strictly because of Arturo Vidal. <laughs> no other reason. Third place. Uh Tyler Arturo Vidal doesn't even play on the Chilean no, women's it's his, team. His influence will carry them into a third place finish. But when I look at the U.S. and I look at Sweden, I think this is a fascinating contest. For whatever reason, Sweden has managed to get under the skin of the United States. Sweden has found a way to frustrate the United States. And believe me, this is a big Megan Rapino, Julie Ertz, Rose Lavelle, Tobin Heath house here. Like th- these, these are great players. This is a great team, like you said, Jake. But Sweden has done something to frustrate them and make them get them off their game. And so when those two hook up, I'm really interested to see how that plays out. Now, granted a loss to Sweden wouldn't, it wouldn't be anything major to the U S team. I would expect them to roll right through Thailand or Chile, but it would just present a little bit of doubt to that powerhouse that maybe it's not going to be an easy run. And, and maybe that might be something they need on their way to pursuing another World Cup. The thing that I love is that your one time that you don't pick a favorite, it's Chile, and it's not even for Chile to like go in top two of the group. It's that Chile is going to be third and not dead last. I'm kind of shocked about that. You have to appreciate, I, Chile has a special place in my heart ever since 
Arturo Vidal's son broke that story that he was transferring to Barcelona. So and I had to give them you know, like a little Chile? bit of a shout because out there. The- that is, that is it. It's all about Vidal and his kid. That's it. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, there is this extra catch about the Women's World Cup taking the four best third place teams and letting them into the next round. For me, those four teams would be Italy, Norway, uh, Japan, and Spain. Chuck, what are your four teams? I am going to go with South Korea. China, Scotland, and New Zealand. All right. Those are some pretty good picks. Now, the Women's World Cup starts today at 3 o'clock Eastern American time on Fox. Uh, If you are not from the United States of America, um, I'm sorry that your team is going to get knocked out of the World Cup. Uh, I'm kidding, but uh, you'll be able to ignore that statement and check your local listings and you'll be able to start watching it from there it should be a great tournament regardless of how it pans out i think the one thing that makes it kind of clear is that there is so much parity in the women's game now and that is a great thing this is this is coming from a UConn basketball fan where I'm sad that UConn women's basketball isn't winning all the time, but you know what? The parody in women's college basketball now is so great that you can't go ahead and pick UConn to win every year. Just like it's maybe a little harder this year to pick the United States to win this entire group because there are a lot of really, really great teams in this tournament. Yeah, and I think it's actually a little bit of reverse compared to the men's game. I think four years ago, the rest of the world saw the blueprint that the U.S. put out there, how to develop a team, how to make it a great team, how to to put forth a dominant effort. And for the last four years, all of these countries that have invested into their women's program have been following this path. Meanwhile, on the men's side, the U.S. team is looking at Germany, they're looking at Brazil, they're looking at Argentina, at England, at France, and they're trying to emulate them. So while on the women's side, you know, the U.S. is at the top of the heap, the rest of the world is catching up. They're investing more time, more money, better coaching, and better facilities into the women's game. And I think that it's a great step. And if the U.S. team opens some eyes to help give women a better opportunity, I mean, that's great. I think it's this. what we're going to see in the World Cup is the culmination of all the effort that these countries have put into their women's programs coming out. I think it's good. Overall, it's a great step forward for the women's game. And I think what you'll see is a lot of people paying attention to this tournament because it's not just a women's tournament. It's a women's World Cup and it demands the respect of that title because this will be a great tournament and it will be a tournament that soccer fans or football fans all over the world will surely not want to miss. So that's going to wrap it up for this quick little summer update episode. We will probably do another one of these once the Women's World Cup group stages are over, so be sure to tune in for that. And like I said at the beginning of this podcast, uh, be sure to look out for those Bundesliga recap episodes that we will be putting out very soon. Uh, be sure to follow the blog on Twitter at BavarianFBWorks. Be sure to follow me 
on Twitter at Jefferson Fenner. Chuck, where can they find you? You can get me on Twitter at the Barrel Blog, and you can read me every day in the Daily Schmall Girl. Every day, I will be there consistently until I go on vacation, and I have to try and hand it off to Marcus or someone else who wants to deal with that mess in the morning. And for all of your other great soccer content, be sure to check check out the blog every single day bavarianfootballworks.com for all of us here at bavarian football works and the podcasting vision thank you so much for listening be sure to give us a rating and follow us subscribe to us download our podcasts every day on apple spotify wherever you get your quality audio content and again be sure to fill out that survey that i mentioned at the beginning we would love your feedback so until next time auf wiedersehen